Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author J.B. Mannheim. He's the author of the Dead Ball Files series of baseball mysteries. Sunbury Press is nearing release of the latest book in this series, The Federal Case, to be published under our Milford House Press imprint. A century-old legal battle between Major League Baseball and the upstart Federal League. An old legal document once lost, now found. Young Knight schooled lawyer Andy Denham takes on the baseball establishment, the law firm that fired him, and a mystery from his own past. At stake, the viability of Major League Baseball's business model and Andy's future as a lawyer. You win some, you lose some, some get rained out. We will also be releasing the three prior novels as well. This Never Happened, The Gamekeepers, and Double Day, Double Take. J.B. Mannheim is the professor emeritus at George Washington University, where he developed the world's first degree-granting program in political communication and was later founding director of the School of Media and Public Affairs. In 1995, he was named Professor of the Year for the District of Columbia, He learned his love of baseball, watching Dizzy Dean on the Game of the Week and huddling with his grandfather for warmth on July nights at the Mistake by the Lake, also known as Cleveland Municipal Stadium, and renewed it when the national pastime finally returned to the nation's capital. Mannheim brings to life his expertise in propaganda and strategic communication through his fictional stories of baseball behind the scenes. His writing will lead you to question whether what you think you know about the history of the game and about the powers who control it, is real, or whether it's just a carefully nurtured product of lies, deceptions, misdirections, and propaganda. J.B. Mannheim is a member of the Society of American Baseball Research, the Internet Baseball Writers Association of America, and the Authors Guild. J.B. Mannheim, welcome. Thank you, Lawrence. I'm happy to be here. So, Nationals fan, huh? (laughs) Um, well, yeah, a recovering Nationals fan. Yeah. Thank you for uh, Trey and Bryce. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my Phillies are finally in second place now, so, yeah. No, At least we're not inviting Phillies fans to bust down to Washington for the games like in the old days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Phillies fans just come willingly, though. Yeah, they love to come down. Although I think the Phillies fans these days, they're a little more polite than in the old days. At least I'd like to think so, but you tell me. <laughs> anyway, this uh, Dead Ball Mysteries series, the Dead Ball Files, um, tell me a little bit about your interest in that era, early 20th century baseball. Well, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating time uh, because there was so much going on in baseball, for one thing. I mean, you had the consolidation of Major League Baseball in the National Commission. You had the first legal moves toward the, the antitrust exemption. You had the development of the Doubleday creation myth. At, at the end of it, you had the arrival of, of uh, Babe Ruth, all things that would change the game forever. But it was also uh, much more than that because it was a time in the broader society of seismic technological and social and political change uh, in the U.S. And, and really around the world. You had the first powered flight, first large-scale assembly lines, the rise of mass audience media, the First World War, and not coincidentally, the first U.S. Ministry of Propaganda, Panama Canal opened, 
American empire really was, was uh, the dynamic of the day, the Federal Reserve System, the first income tax, and the first pandemic of the modern era, women's suffrage, prohibition, rise of organized crime, the Russian Revolution. Um, not all of those things had baseball connections, but a surprising number of them did. Yeah, boy, I think you've hit most of the uh, major topics of a course in early 20th century American history. So, and Well, yeah, you know, they, they don't call baseball the national pastime for nothing. Yeah, and as you were saying that, I was thinking about just how... Uh, um, just how more loose, uh, how yeah, I guess we had fewer regulations, fewer laws, less organization, much smaller government. You also had uh, big business uh, monopolies, and um, yeah. well, and that's that's actually one of the interesting connection points because uh, one of the most important names in the game just after the dead ball era was, of course, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, yeah. who uh, was the first commissioner. But but uh, Landis was the judge who came in. Well, he was a big baseball fan to begin with, a Cubs fan. Uh, but he also uh, was the judge in the uh, fe first federal league case. And uh, that was when Van Johnson and some of the, the baseball lawyers got to know him and to his to appreciate his interest in the game but he was the the connection is that uh, landis was one of the first judges to try a serious antitrust case you know this is teddy roosevelt and the trust busters era right and and uh landis had a case uh, in his court uh with standard oil and he became famous because he actually chased down uh, John D. Rockefeller and forced him to appear in court. <laughs> I'm sure J John D. Rockefeller loved that. So tell us a little more about the federal case, the, the new novel that you're, we're about to come out with. Uh, what's well, some federal, of the basics of the plot here? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the federal league uh, was formed up in, in 1913 and decided after a year or two that they wanted to be a new uh, major league. And this was a violation of the, the national agreement that baseball operated under, and they were sort of outlaws, but it was a pattern that, that had been around before. They had teams in Brooklyn and Buffalo and Chicago, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, St. Louis. There was a lot of money behind the league. Um, but there was one team that didn't have much money and didn't have a very strong ownership structure, and that was the Kansas City Packers. And the Kansas City Packers become the, the centerpiece uh, of the historical part of this plot. And what, what I do in, in my novels is I, I base them in events and personalities of the dead ball era, but they're all contemporary dramas, in this case, a contemporary legal thriller. Uh, and the legal thriller traces its roots to a possibly fictional, but not necessarily fictional, effort by Major League Baseball to use one of the shareholders of the Kansas City team as a way of undermining the Federal League. Mm. So that's that's where the story starts. Yeah, and I know Sabre folks know about the Federal League, and uh, of course the stats for the Federal League count into um, the overall statistics for all-time 
uh, tabulations. And as you're talking about the federal, I actually know a little bit about the St. Louis team, the St. Louis Terriers. Mm-hmm. And uh, very obscure. I went looking for a jersey. You can't find a St. Louis Terriers jersey, like a replica. <laughs> I don't think anybody cares anymore. And then try to find a real one. Uh, I don't think there's very many that still exist. They're probably in museums or they're just lost. But my my interest was in Eddie Plank, who jumped to the Federal League for right. 1914. And the Terriers tied for the championship of the Federal League. They were tied for first place in uh, games behind, but lost on percentage points because they didn't play the same number of games as the team that was ahead of them. And I thought, oh, they didn't even have a playoff. It just ended. And then uh, Eddie left. Well, St. Louis is actually uh, a pivotal player in the Federal League. Phil Ball and Otto Stifel were the owners out there. One of them was a the ice magnate and the other was a beer magnate. So right. they had a lot of money and they uh, basically forced out John Powers, who had been the founding president of the league and put in a guy named Jim Gilmore. And Gilmore is the one who um, offered a loan, something like a hundred thousand dollars to the Kansas city team in order to keep them in business with an agreement that the loan wouldn't be called. And as soon as Kansas city signed the agreement, he called the loan. <laughs> and that was pretty much the end of the Kansas City team. Wow. Um, but the the interesting thing, the other interesting thing about uh, Kansas and Kansas City during that time, you know, we, we just went through, not so long ago now, the, the COVID pandemic. And back around this time was the beginning of what we've come to know as the Spanish flu, the mm-hmm. influenza pandemic that wiped out millions of people around the world. But contemporary epidemiologists um, have concluded that the Spanish flu actually began in uh, in a county in western Kansas, in Haskell County, uh, which is, uh, I guess, a, a cattle-raising area in the western part of the state. And the character that I used to, uh, to kick this story off uh, had, had been in the meat business and had just made a visit out to Haskell. Uh, went to see his lawyer because he had a document pertaining to what happened to the the Kansas City team in the Federal League, and he wanted to get that document uh, filed with with some new wills that he was writing because it granted him certain rights. And um, as soon as he saw the lawyer, right right after that, he died of the flu, and then the lawyer died of the flu. So the, the piece of paper that he had, which was an agreement uh signed by the national commission that gave him certain rights should there ever be which they didn't expect should there ever be major league baseball in kansas city that paper got buried in a in a law firm archive uh and that's what kicks off the story in modern times because the lawyer andy denham is a is a night school grunt who's hired and basically sent down to muck out the stables in the in the archive of a modern day law firm and he comes across this file and um it sets off a whole chain of events all right on that note we'll be right back i'm talking to jb manheim 
Sunbury Press Books is your home for independent and innovative authors. Verboten Books is the imprint for mature content. Check out Satan's Petting Zoo and Mayhem Menagerie, written by Brian Koshensky and Chris Pisano. Also, Lana Shea's Erotic Hustle and Bram Stoker's Rated Z series. Find these and books for all tastes at sunburypress.com. I'm back talking to J.B. Mannheim, the author of the Dead Ball series of baseball mysteries. And, uh, you know, I I kind of like this contemporary angle where somebody's doing legal research on a current case or situation or stumbles upon an archive that has some connection to this, the past, you know, the Dead Ball era, of course, coming in scope here. But um, tell us a little bit about the other books in the series. I know we're we're looking to bring back the second editions of three other books and have them all out this summer. Uh, yeah, the uh, the first one uh, is, is called uh, This Never Happened, and the subtitle says it's about uh, the mysterious death of, of Christy Matheson. It's the one that got me started doing these these books, and it started in a sort of accidental uh, way. I was uh, sitting watching an old rerun of Antiques Roadshow in 19, I'm sorry, 2018, still thinking dead ball, and... Um, uh, they ran a show from 2003 that had some some uh, military papers being appraised, and the military papers were a roster and a payroll uh, and a daybook summary from uh, a place called Camp Hancock outside of Augusta, Georgia. And the interesting thing about them was that the roster of players who were, were training at Camp Hancock and this was in June of uh, 1918, included Christy Matheson as a lieutenant in charge of the unit, Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner altogether, uh, seven or eight guys who 20 years later, when there was a Hall of Fame, were going to be named to it, including some in the first class. And I thought, gee, that's kind of interesting. And it, it's, it didn't sink in at first. But a few days later, I realized that that was... That, w- that wasn't in the baseball history anywhere. And in fact, yeah. it was contrary to the known uh, accepted baseball history of, of uh, Matheson and Cobb's service in World War II. And I got very curious about that. The, as, as you know, the story about Matheson and Cobb is that the season ended early and sometime in the fall, the two of them uh, joined up in the chemical warfare service as captains. They were shipped off to France. There was uh, a poison gas accident of some sort in training. Matheson got the worst of it. Cobb, in his autobiography, says, well, he didn't get the same dose. And Matheson then uh, came back uh, and and a few years later died prematurely of tuberculosis and at the time, it was it was blamed on this poison gas. Right, might very well not be true. In fact, there's some some documents that suggest now that it it wasn't true from in, inside the army and the like. But these papers, which look entirely legitimate, uh, suggest that really months earlier, all these players were down in Georgia training, and it. As I looked into it, uh, I, I concluded that it was really part of a propaganda exercise. They were having trouble. The war wasn't popular. Baseball had been going through all sorts of issues with exemption from the draft and then 
players being subject to the draft if they didn't go to work for wartime industries, which basically often meant just playing baseball in the industrial leagues. Um, and and uh, they were looking for ways of, of sustaining baseball's image, but the Army also had needs. And General William uh, Seibert, who was in charge of the Chemical Warfare Service in particular, was having a hard time getting people to to come into that service, and you can guess why. Uh-huh. Um, so um, they he actually held a big press conference, what we would today call a press conference in Washington, and said that they were going to be recruiting uh, athletes, especially baseball players, to come into the service to show that that it was safe and important to do. And then they set about doing that, and he worked with Branch Rickey, who was credited in the normal history of, of, for recruiting Cobb and, and Matheson. Uh, but all of this happened earlier in the year, and it fits with creating a propaganda unit down at, at uh, Camp Hancock in Georgia to, um, you know, to show this training. And they had all these really prominent uh, current and former players. Uh, but then there was never any propaganda. The whole thing completely disappeared. There's no reference. There was no, no reference to it in the local press. Uh, in fact, one of, the, one of the two main newspapers in Augusta, where the camp was, um, had a, a feature article. The camp had been there for over a year, but that same week that they were down there, um, the, the Augusta Chronicle ran a great big special feature on the camp. And there was a, a baseball game scheduled against a team from the Charleston Navy Yard that was coming down. Um, and then there was no reference at all. that They printed the rosters of the players late in the week. There's no reference at all to these, to these guys who were down there training for the purpose of propaganda. Uh, and then the, the paper, you know, in the old days when you were doing newspaper, you didn't just change out a file on the computer it was all hot type and and space set aside for things they ended up with a big hole inside the newspaper that they filled by listing the names and ranks of the 250 mps at the base Mm. and you know that they were (laughs) it was not their original intent right um if you look at the the baseball record books from that same uh time uh that's covered by these papers for active players, you do find an occasional appearance. A Cobb appears, for example, as a pinch hitter. But all of those things were tightly controlled during the war by George Creel, who was the principal uh, guy in charge of propaganda. He was one of the president's first appointments within days of entering the war, and he was very aggressive. He's written a book on, on how he used all the social institutions to develop support for the war and, and distrust of the other side. Um, so there's funny things when you get to looking at the, the actual records, there's funny things about people going into the hospital and then the, the unit's supposed to be there for, for three weeks and they're not even there for 10 days. It just sort of ends. So I asked myself, what the heck is going on here? And put on my propaganda and persuasion hat and came up with what I think is a plausible explanation. It's written as fiction, but. But I think it's a plausible explanation for what happened. And the book is about the, then goes on to be the, the discovery of this and figuring out what happens with these papers, which turn up in a barn find 100 years later in, a, in an old suitcase wrapped in oilcloth um, 
with papers produced by a prominent baseball writer of the 1930s who's on to the story, mm. but who dies before he can tell it. Okay. Boy, that one sounds fascinating, too. We're talking to J.B. Mannheim. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent authors and serves readers young and old alike. Speckled Egg Press is our juvenile nonfiction imprint. Check out works from authors like Joanne Risso, author of Over the Sea and In the Field, Holly Garner's Letters from Leo, or The Adventures of Solomon Screech Owl, brought to us by Beth Lancione. Click on the Books tab at sunburypress.com and find authors and books you'll want to know. I'm back with J.B. Mannheim, the author of the Dead Ball Files series of baseball mysteries. And uh, now we're going to look at the other two, The Gamekeepers and Double Day, Double Take. Okay, well, The Gamekeepers, um, I had never expected to write This Never Happened. But after I did, and then we all got locked down for a couple of years, I needed something to do, and uh, started thinking about the way that this never happened, it ended, which um, these books all end sort of up in the air because they're, they're mental puzzles that I try to set up in a twisty-turny kind of way for the reader. And I don't like to answer questions. I like to, to float questions. Uh, so the gamekeepers came along because it occurred to me that if there was if there was a hide, some hiding of the facts with regard to the death of Matheson, um, and then you have shortly after that the Black Sox scandal, and there's a whole lot of nasty things that have happened to or in over, baseball over the years, that there must be some secret information besides the Matheson files that is stashed away somewhere. So the gamekeepers talks about a uh, self-declared group of preservationists of the secrets of baseball, basically. That okay. the gamekeepers are and X-files of baseball, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the, they set up uh, they set up an archive, a secret archive, and they have cutouts to reach out to the to the person who controls access to the archive, but is not allowed inside. So there's a lot of this sort of thing uh, going on, coming out of the kind of S2G2 structure of, of World War One, the, the intelli military intelligence function, and secret coded uh, messages to, to let you know that it's legitimate to let somebody in, code names, all kinds of things. There are a lot of, of uh, unnamed characters here. Uh, but the, they set up this archive, and, it, and it, the whole process works pretty well for about a hundred years and then all of a sudden it breaks down a couple things happen that break it down and if there's a secret archive that's preserving the the worst information about baseball to keep it out of the public eye and if somebody somehow stumbles across that information uh, and has other motives it opens opportunity for example for a little blackmail and in this case, the blackmail has to do with gaining control over the structure and finances of Major League Baseball. Okay. Yeah, and then with Doubleday, I know there's, uh, I mean, the whole thing about Abner Doubleday and, uh, of course, a Civil War officer um, probably well, much, had, had nothing to do with the founding of baseball. He was much more than a Civil War officer. Yeah. I mean, he was a very prominent Civil War officer, and he had... 
a lot of other things he did. He he's the guy who mapped the Everglades in the Miami area for the military. Okay. Uh, he was he was really all over the place in in the military. Retired and um, became active in the Theosophical Society of America, which was a kind of uh, influential philosophical and religious and in some ways scientific movement back uh, in the, the late 1800s. Um, Doubleday died in, in 1893, um, but he was a, a handy guy to have known, uh, particularly for, uh, for people who wanted to prove the American roots of baseball. And A.G. Spaulding uh, was was one of those people. He was a, a baseball Hall of Famer in his own right as a player, owner, manager, and the like. But again, you have to look at when we're talking about. This was the, the rise of American nationalism, uh, period of the Spanish-American War. Uh, it was important to Spaulding and many other people to, to uh, build up nationalism in the U.S. and baseball as the national pastime was was a mechanism to do that. But um, some historians of, of the game, uh, notably John Thorne and Phil Block, um, have suggested that there was more going on, that there was some sort of conspiracy involving the theosophy movement. Uh, I took that as a, as a starting point and did some research and, and really expanded out on some uh, real connections there uh, because Spalding uh, was a major uh, activist and donor in the Theosophy movement. Other people in the commission that he put together to declare that uh, or to discover who was the inventor of the game were tied in with Theosophy and okay. um, Doubleday was himself. So uh, I took the conspiracy as a starting point uh, and then put it in the hands of the the now uh, present civil commissioner of baseball and set him on a path to uh, use false information to prove it. And then some unexpected things happened to him. Wow. Yeah, I never, uh, I mean, never really thought too much beyond Doubleday has nothing to do with the founding of baseball. Uh, and, and kind of in my mind, I didn't think about, well, why was he tapped? to be part of the legend so i appreciate that and uh yeah i like the the speculation that you have here so uh new book three others uh coming back we'll have all four uh here during the baseball season this year what else are you doing do you have any uh promotions planned any events anything else you're writing you'd like to talk about here in the last few minutes Actually, I've got uh, another one in the computer, um, and it's, uh, it's again from the from the dead ball era. One of the biggest baseball fans of that day was Thomas Edison. Um, Edison made the very first motion picture of a baseball game in 1898, and uh, he sponsored an industrial league team. Uh, and I, I use that as a starting point for a book that I'm at this point I'm calling the birthright, okay. um, which uh, has to do with um, somebody who inherits something of particular value uh, 
Uh, and I've got some old letters that uh, that Edison uh, exchanged with various people that that support the story. It's a it moves a little bit off of baseball, but it has some baseball roots to it, and it, it fits in with the same notion of a contemporary, uh, in this case, legal thriller using the same uh, characters that are that are in uh, the federal case, the same lawyer and and. Uh, his uh, his friend who who is a uh, cartographer and genealogist um, and, and bringing forward some stories about Thomas Edison. Wow. Well, those of you who are listening, if you like baseball, baseball history, legal thrillers, historical fiction, it sounds like it's all wrapped up here in this series. Uh, fascinating. JB, it's been great having you on. Great talking to you today. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, we will have you back to go into more depth with that new book, uh, the Edison one, once we get to that. Uh, at some point, we've been talking to J.B. Mannheim, the author of the Dead Ball Files series of Baseball Mysteries. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.